0: Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary, the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the nocturnal forest. Oh, wait, I just got up. You just woke up. Yeah, because I'm nocturnal. I was up all night. It's the
1: afternoon, and I've been sleeping in all day, and I'm nocturnal, (sighs) so thank you for waking me up.
0: Yeah, of course. That's what what I'm trying to do. Okay. I'm trying to get you up. I'm trying to get you a normal sleep schedule.
1: Excellent. So, hey, hopefully by the next time you recycle the alphabet and we get back to N, you can say
0: and the normal forest. (laughs) We're never going to be able to say that. And also, we have two new patrons to thank. We have Ellen Johnson and Griffin. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, We are two patrons away from our first goal of 10 patrons. So we'll have more patrons than dead con artist Sherry Schreiner. (laughs) If you think we deserve more patrons than her, just go to patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary. And for just $1 a month, you can get us to that goal. And for $5 a month, you get access to bonus episodes. And our first one was just released last week. So if you want to take a listen to that, all it takes is $5 a month and you'll be there. And lastly, if you could please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, or wherever your podcasts are served. And
1: so, again, I'm having to film for Brent here, so I hope that this sounds adequate. So,
0: what are we talking about today, Dylan? Well, today we're talking about the scams, cults, and other bizarre things that happen in the world of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. As we've mentioned, this is a crypto nerd podcast, except for Brent, of course, which is why he's not on these episodes. <laughs> um, you know, he doesn't know anything about crypto. Since Brent couldn't be here, Forrest and I took the opportunity to do this series now because he wouldn't understand anything we're saying in this episode anyway. Yeah, I mean, you see, Brent is a no-coiner. He's got nothing to hodl. Oh, man, a no-coiner? Not even alts? You mean to tell me he doesn't even have a cold wallet set up? Does he even run a full node? Does he even know how to join a mining no, 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 pool? No,
1: no no, no, alts, no node, no miner. He, he doesn't have one shit coin. Nothing. Man. And it's worse. Not even a hot wallet. Not even... But when we moon, how will Brent get his Lambo? Unfortunately, Brent is deep in legacy fiat. So let's say we even sign him up and put him on some normie centralized exchange like Coinbase or whatever and got him a bag. And his bag mooned, he'd probably get
0: hacked or just fuck up and lose his private keys anyway. So I don't really think there's much hope. God, well... When one Satoshi equals $1, I hope Brent becomes a maximalist like us, or he's going to get wrecked when blockchain runs the world. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I really hope so, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right. And also, you know, for all our listeners, I hope you've been following along. (laughs) And if all that sounded confusing to you, don't worry, because by the end of this episode, you will totally get all of it. Oh, yeah. And for all you
1: noobs and no-coiners out there, we'll start with an introduction to Bitcoin and blockchain all right so firstly what is a blockchain a blockchain is essentially like an excel spreadsheet of balances and transactions except that no one person or entity can control the spreadsheet because it's distributed among many different computers owned by different individuals around the world
0: the example i like to use is imagine going to an arcade so instead of spending money on physical tokens you give your money to the owner And they mark down how many times you can play a game on a piece of paper instead. So when you want to play a game, instead of putting a token in, you go to the owner, they activate the game for you, and then they change your balance on the spreadsheet. Now, if there's just one of those, if the owner just has one, it would be really easy to hack it. You could just take the owner's spreadsheet, you put on whatever number you really want, and then, hey, you're good to go. You can play the arcade a million times. But... If everyone has a copy of the spreadsheet, you couldn't just take the owner's spreadsheet and change the numbers because then you would look at everybody's spreadsheet and say, hey, wait a minute, there's a discrepancy on this one spreadsheet. And so then the change wouldn't actually occur. Yeah, that's a pretty good analogy. And so there's different types of blockchains with different purposes, which are
1: called use cases. But for now, we're just going to focus on the only one that you and everyone else really cares about, and that's Bitcoin. Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's current primary use cases are censorship resistance, which means basically like no government can control its transactions or freeze an account. So anybody can send, I guess, Bitcoin to Pablo Escobar and it'd be OK.
0: I mean, it wouldn't be OK because he's dead. But I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> good point. Maybe El Chapo would be a Chapo
1: was a better example. one to pick. I don't know why I picked <laughs> Pablo Escobar. I know he was censored by the government, though.
0: Cocaine is free speech, damn it. <laughs> I will not be censored. The other
1: use case right now is that it acts as a kind of store of value, kind of like digital gold. And for the time being, at least it's just too volatile in price to be a reliable currency.
0: Yeah. So, for example, yesterday, maybe I could have bought Amazon stock with one Bitcoin, whereas today, maybe I can only buy Amazon Prime. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of, you know, it goes up and down. Exactly. Bitcoin was
1: created by somebody going by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto. He published Bitcoin's white paper in 2008 and created the first Bitcoin software in 2009.
0: And in case you don't know, a white paper is basically it's like a technical paper right. on on a subject but it's not it's not published by like a peer-reviewed journal for example. It's just a smart person writes something fancy and it's called a white paper.
1: Exactly. Anytime anyone wants to create a crypto, they sort of blueprint for it, they call it the white paper. Yeah. Nobody knows who Satoshi really is, but there's plenty of theories and scandals surrounding that controversy, and we'll get into that later in the series. So each computer running the official Bitcoin Core software is called a node in the Bitcoin network. Almost anybody with a computer can run a node. You can even run it on a Raspberry Pi, which is basically an ultra cheap, itty bitty computer.
0: And a Raspberry Pi is the device that I can neither confirm nor deny that I use as a retro game console. And I can neither confirm nor deny that it's very fun.
1: Ooh, very good. As Bitcoin.org explains, quote, a full node is a program that fully validates transactions and blocks. Almost all full nodes also help the network by accepting transactions and blocks from other full nodes, validating those transactions and blocks, and then relaying them to further full nodes.
0: So in the arcade example, it would be a computer checking all those spreadsheets that said when people put in money so they could play a game or whenever someone played a game. Right.
1: And so there's a lot of complaints about the Bitcoin developers that they just take so long to come to the consensus to change anything in the Bitcoin code. But one reason for this is because they want to ensure that it's sufficiently decentralized. So if it becomes impossible for things like the Raspberry Pi to store the ledger, then they fear the nodes will become centralized by those with wealth and power to run the expensive hardware and storage space required. So one side effect of this, though, is that it slows down transaction speed on the chain, requiring off-chain solutions for speedy transactions required for making purchases, such as the Lightning Network. This is the primary source of contention between Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin Cash communities, as we'll get into later.
0: Kind of just in short, there's a decentralization speed trade-off. If you want it to be really fast, you're going to have to have some degree of centralization. Exactly. But if you want it to be totally decentralized and like Uber free market Ron Paul, it's going to be slower. Exactly.
1: Although the Bitcoin cash people would say they're the true Uber Ron Paul people. So we're going to get into that.
0: But they are also liars. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that problem. That's true. A Bitcoin miner is
1: someone that uses a computer to solve complex mathematical calculations necessary to group recent transactions into what's called a block. This process is called proof of work. For their services to the network, they're rewarded with new Bitcoins. There's a limited number of Bitcoins that can be mined, that number being 21 million. So there's about 100 years to go before all the Bitcoins are mined. After that, well... If no miners want to accept the minuscule fees for their proof of work, let's just hope that if Bitcoin becomes a world reserve currency, it doesn't stay the world reserve currency or else we're all fucked.
0: Also, thankfully, deflation totally isn't a problem with currencies, and it totally didn't rear its ugly head with the gold standard. That <laughs> was totally fine. Having a finite amount is is great. Yep, always. Paul Krugman is an idiot. <laughs> so anyway... <laughs>
1: Blocks are only accepted by the rest of the network if it's legitimately hashed by miners. And so, of course, hash, what does this mean? According to BlockGeeks.com, quote, In simple terms, hashing means taking an input string of any length and giving out an output of fixed length. In the context of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, the transactions are taken as an input and run through a hashtag algorithm. In this case, Bitcoin uses SHA256, which gives an output of fixed length. In the case of SHA-256, no matter how big or small your input is, the output will always have a fixed 256 bits length. This becomes critical when you're dealing with a huge amount of data and transactions. So basically, instead of remembering the input data, which could be huge, you can just remember the hash and keep track.
0: And since bits are either 1 or a 0, that's 2 to the 256th power different combinations, and that's roughly one followed by 77 zeros. Nice. So that's a lot of combinations. This is an extraordinarily big number,
1: almost like an entire Google. It is, it is big. So continuing from blockageeks.com, hash rate basically means how fast these hashing operations are taking place while mining. A high hash rate means more people and software machines are taking part in the mining process. And as a result, the system is running smoothly. If the hash rate is too fast, the difficulty level is increased. If the hash rate becomes too slow, then the difficulty level is decreased. Since the hash rate perpetually gets harder and harder as more miners join the network, you need perpetually more computing power to complete this process. The result is not very environmentally friendly.
0: Oh, I am, no, I'm very
1: sorry. Would you expect anything else from a libertarian enclave, though?
0: I guess I shouldn't have.
1: No. According to the enemy of the people, Illuminati Shills at CBS, quote, Some estimates say more than 60% of the processing power used to mine Bitcoin is in China, where it relies heavily on the burning of coal. Coal and other fossil fuels are also the largest generator of electricity for the rest of the world, and coal is a significant contributor to man-made climate change. Burning it produces carbon dioxide, a gas that is a primary contributor to global warming.
0: They're actually it's it's funny that you mentioned this. they're making a new Raspberry Pi that instead of an AC adapter just has a coal input. So you could just (laughs) put the coal directly in to the computer um, so you don't have to have any kind of middleman. I mean, again, decentralization, decentralize your coal.
1: Yeah. Estimates vary. And the true figure could be impossible to come by because of the intentionally anonymous nature of Bitcoin use. But Dutch Bitcoin analyst Alex de Vries, who operates a Bitcoin energy consumption index on the website Digi-Economist, has produced estimates he believes are alarming. This is quoting Alex. If Bitcoin miners are using the most efficient machines possible, the lowest amount of electricity they could possibly be using is 13 terawatt hours, De Vries said in an interview. That's about as much as the entire country of Slovenia. Ooh. <laughs> Devries said less conservative estimates make it entirely possible that Bitcoin is using as much energy as Ireland, which consumes about twice as much as Slovenia, or about 0.7% of the United States total. The problem is getting worse, said Devries, who estimated the annual amount of energy consumed by Bitcoin rose by a fifth in the final weeks of 2017. My God. Oh, yeah. So, by the way, unlike the network nodes, Bitcoin mining is totally centralized. So there's just these gigantic warehouses, most of them probably in China, with endless rows of computers mining Bitcoin all day. And if you try to mine Bitcoin with your crappy laptop, good luck. You might get maybe a cent's worth by the end of the year.
0: Yeah. And just to to, uh, clarify the centralization, it's not like there's a Bitcoin organization that controls this. It's centralized in the sense that You have to have a ton, a ton of money and like access to resources in order to buy the fancy computers you would need and the amount of coal you would need to burn (laughs) in order to actually make a profit. And so that's why it's centralized.
1: Exactly. In fact, miners, they use so much electricity that their profit margins are not as big as you might think. The electricity bill is like huge.
0: That's why clearly what you have to do is steal it. Steal your electricity, become a Bitcoin miner, buy your own island. That's really the libertarian dream. And we'll get into that a little later here.
1: (laughs) So each transaction uses cryptographic technology, and this ensures that the blockchain is using identical copies of the ledger. When you sign a transaction with a private key, anyone in the network that knows your public key can verify that your signature is valid. You control your own Bitcoin transactions with your private key that's stored on a file in a device called a wallet. Each wallet has an address that you can use to receive funds. There are two types of wallets, hardware wallets or cold wallets, and software wallets or hot wallets. Hardware wallets are the safer option since your private keys never leave the piece of hardware externally connected to your computer, whereas with the software wallet, if a hacker has access to your computer, they also, theoretically at least, have access to your private keys. Nobody can send from your wallet without your private keys, which is what Bitcoin is all about, getting rid of the financial middlemen and giving yourself total control over your own finances.
0: And so one, uh, one way to think about this is that your public key is kind of like your credit card number or your debit card number, where your private key is kind of like your PIN number. Exactly.
1: However, part of the double-edged sword of Bitcoin is that since there's no middleman to go to, if you fuck up, if you lose your private key or accidentally type in the wrong address or get hacked or lose your seed words or any number of other million things that can go wrong, there's nobody to come crying to. Your money is gone forever. Forever. And for our listeners, if you're still lost, I'll let you in on a dirty secret. None of that matters to you. All you really need to know is this. If you got some Bitcoin, when the line goes up on the price chart and is in green, that means good. If it goes down and it's in the red, that means bad. The greener and upper it is, the richer you become. The redder and downer it goes, the poorer you become. That's really all you need to know. That's pretty much it. Okay,
0: I think I can get that.
1: Yes. If you can get that, then you got enough to know. We're going to talk about Bitcoin Jesus, Bitcoin Cash, and the battle for the soul of Satoshi. If you go to Bitcoin.com, you might expect that you'd come to a website advocating for Bitcoin, right? That sounds reasonable. Yes. Well, you're wrong. You see, Bitcoin.com is owned by its CEO, Roger Ver, and he really fucking hates Bitcoin which is notated BTC on exchanges. Or more more precisely, he hates Bitcoin maximalists. A Bitcoin maximalist is basically a Bitcoin core cultist. Besides being a carnivore and a fan of the Second Amendment, a Bitcoin maximalist also dogmatically hates all cryptocurrencies with the exception of Bitcoin. And they especially really fucking hate Roger Veer's favorite cryptocurrency, Bitcoin Cash, notated BCH on exchanges, which they deridingly call Bcash, much to Veer's umbrage.
0: And as we'll learn, uh, I believe Veer also hates Bitcoin minimalists, i.e. anyone who just thinks Bitcoin is, you know, kind (laughs) of cool. It's all about Bitcoin cash for him. It's the only game in town. It's
1: the only game in town. According to Investopedia,
0: quote, Veer
1: was also an early investor in a number of related blockchain projects, including Kraken and Ripple. In 2012, Veer launched BitcoinStore.com, offering thousands of items for sale with customers allowed to transact in Bitcoin. Throughout the process of advocating for Bitcoin and related projects, Veer earned the moniker Bitcoin Jesus, as many saw him as an evangelist
0: on behalf of the cryptocurrency. And this shows the real reason Jesus didn't like the money changers in the temple. They were using fiat currency. That was the real problem. <laughs>
1: oh my God. By the way, don't call Bitcoin Cash, Bcash in front of Roger. And don't worry, you will find out soon enough why we give you that warning. So what is Bitcoin Cash? Bitcoin Cash is a fork of Bitcoin. A Bitcoin fork is basically a clone of the Bitcoin Core ledger, which picks up where Core left off and moves in its own direction henceforth.
0: And this language of forking, this comes from the program Git, uh, which is a version control software. You might have heard of GitHub, which is a online... I don't want to say version of Git, but it's an online way of interacting with Git. And think about like Google Docs. So if you work on a document on Google Docs, it'll save copies of the changes of the major changes you make on a document. And so there's going to be a bunch of different versions and a fork to use that language of a Google Docs document, for example, would be like if you're collaborating with someone And they want to take it into a different direction. They can make a copy of the document and then start working it on their own way. Yeah. And so there'll be two different versions of this document. Mm -hmm. And so that's what a fork is. It's not exclusive to Bitcoin, but the Bitcoin core source code is on GitHub and it's on Git. And so if you want to, you can literally make a copy of the Bitcoin core source code and then just do your own thing with it.
1: Yep, exactly. It's actually very easy to do. And yeah, anyone, if you want to go make your own Bitcoin, you can do that right now. Go ahead. So the Bitcoin Cash fork was a result of two diverging camps of Bitcoin developers and investors. As I mentioned earlier, the Bitcoin core people didn't want to make the blocks bigger and bigger in fear of seeing centralization of nodes. One side effect of this, though, is that the on-chain transaction fees are larger and take longer the process. Bitcoin Cash people say that theirs is the true Bitcoin, despite being a clone of the original. This is because, according to them, their version of Bitcoin is closer to Satoshi's than the core team.
0: And this is given Ve- uh, Veer's title as Bitcoin Jesus. This is a very religion y kind of thing to do. He's like the Martin Luther of cryptocurrency.
1: Exactly. In fact, you know, legend has it that he took his white paper
0: and nailed it to the door of the church. Man, that is extreme. <laughs> you could say Roger Veer is a fork of Protestantism. <laughs>
1: So Bitcoin cash people maintain that Satoshi wanted this to be a currency after all, not some goofy store of value and all this bullshit. So they're sort of orthodox satoshi To them, using it as a peer-to-peer currency to circumvent banks and governments is the one and true way for Bitcoin to be a thing at all. They basically say, fuck it, make the blocks as big as fuck and who cares if it becomes centralized? It likely won't happen anyway because Moore's Law and Capitalism and Freedom and all that. We want to actually spend this shit, not just hodl it. Okay, so did I just use an alien word there? Did I mean to say hold? No, I clearly said hodl. Hodl stands for hold on to dear life. This is basically what millennial and Generation Z retail investors tell themselves when they lose 99% of their position in a cryptocurrency and want to ward off suicidal thoughts.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also a word where the abbreviation, like what it stood for, came afterwards. I think as Forrest is going to explain, it started as a typo, uh, and then they're like, oh, well, we're going to start using this and then pretend it stands for something. But it really was born out of a mistake.
1: Yes, hold on for dear life is a post hoc interpretation. The origin of the term, at least according to Wikipedia page for HODL, tells us, quote, it originated in a December 2013 post on the Bitcoin forum message board by an apparently inebriated user who posted with a typo in the subject, quote, I am HODLing. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where that comes from. So Roger Veer, just so you all know, is a super ultra hardcore mega libertarian. Nice. So what do you do? If you're a super ultra hardcore mega libertarian,
0: you create a Ron Paul shrine and weep over the failed revolution of 2008. (laughs) That's an extremely good guess. But no, (laughs) what you do is you compare
1: everything you hate with Antifa. Oh, okay. That's you have to do that. In a YouTube video Veer put out on July 1st, 2019, titled Bitcoin maximalists are the Antifa of crypto, Veer says (laughs) After showering heaps of praise on professional asshole Stephen Crowder, no less. Quote, oh, nice. Oh, yeah. The people that hijacked the BTC version of Bitcoin are like the Antifa people that want to physically use violence to suppress dissenting opinions. And if you don't believe me, I'll show you a website that somebody put up there. Ooh. Yeah, he's got proof. Roger shows us a website, which, by the way, I could not find this website on Google, no matter how hard I tried, which is titled... One punch for Veer. It's basically a bunch of memes advocating people to punch Project Veer in the face.
0: <laughs> okay, so okay, so now I get I was really confused at first about the Antifa thing, so I get it. So Basically, Antifa just stands for association, not trying information, fist away. Basically, (laughs) anyone using their fists to get their point across.
1: All right. And so obviously, this website is representative of Bitcoin maximalists as a whole, right? I mean, Vera has a huge sample size, I imagine. After all, all Bitcoin maximalists are totally Antifa, according to the video title, right? Well, according to the website FAQ that Vera shows as he's scrolling through it, it says, (laughs) quote, question, who are you? Answer, we're two guys from China. Our exactly sick location will not be revealed. But one of us has already seen Roger Veer last year at the Shape the Future Summit around Grand Hyatt Hotel from Hong Kong. We also guarantee that both of us know how to deliver a punch. (laughs)
0: I love it when this kind of stuff, when people are talking about a website or an article like on their YouTube channel, and then they scroll past the part, which just totally makes them look like fools. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He actually think he even
1: mentions like these are two guys from China. (laughs) So in response, Veer gives these two Chinese guys and apparently every Bitcoin maximalist a stark warning, quote, if you try punching me,
0: I'll choke you into unconsciousness. <laughs> and uh, go, uh, go Google a picture of Roger Ver to see if you believe him. <laughs> he looks like a true alpha male for sure. Oh, yeah.
1: When Veer first heard about Bitcoin, he became instantly obsessed. And by obsessed, I mean really, really obsessed. Super obsessed. As Veer told everyone's favorite responsible interviewer, Dave Rubin, quote, <laughs> I was so excited about this. I heard about it as I was eating breakfast at around 10 a.m. with the full intent of going into my office that day. Didn't make it. I stayed home and read about Bitcoin all day. I stayed up all night the next day until around 4 p.m. the next day. And I got too tired and I fell asleep for only about an hour. And then woke up again and read all about Bitcoin. And I went on sleeping maybe an hour and a half per night for about a whole week until I got so sick from lack of sleep I had to call my friend and say, help me. I'm so sick. (laughs) He came came and picked me up and drove me to the hospital and they gave me some sort of a sedative or something. And I passed out of sleep for maybe 12 or 16 hours, but then woke up again and it was all Bitcoin and it's been all Bitcoin all day, every day for about seven years now.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, okay. I want to understand something. So this guy, he just threatened that he would defend himself via chokehold. And he had to be taken to the hospital because he refused to sleep from reading too much Bitcoin news.
1: Exactly. That's
0: the kind of very stable genius we're dealing with. (laughs) He had to be taken to the hospital, not because he couldn't sleep. He just wouldn't. (laughs) He was too much of a nerd to go to sleep. If I was Roger
1: Vera's friend... And he called me and said, help me. I'm so sick from lack of sleep. I've been reading about Bitcoin all day. I would have said, well, that's your choice. You're a voluntarist. You volunteered (laughs) to read about Bitcoin and destroy your health. That's not my fault. Yeah, exactly.
0: Use my gas money and resources and property to get you to the hospital. I'm using my gasoline to run my gas generator so I can get my mining going on. (laughs)
1: So Veer tells Ruben that he became a libertarian, or as he prefers to call himself, a voluntarist in junior high when his mother grounded him from playing Nintendo and forced him to read instead. Serendipitously, the book he randomly pulled off the shelf was Socialism by Ludwig von Mises.
0: See, in contrast, my mom let me play Nintendo And I had to go find socialism by Ludwig von Mises all on my own in the local (laughs) library. At first glance, Veer
1: thought it was a pro-socialism book. But after reading it and coming to the realization that price controls are whack, Veer went on a binge of reading pretty much every libertarian book ever written. Veer claims he has firsthand experiences that confirm the Austrian economist's theories about money are correct. What experiences? Which is I,
0: I just I, I have to say I want to right off the bat. It's totally against Austrian economic principles. Since they're very, very explicit about how you cannot use empirical evidence to confirm or refute an economical theory, according it's to so, them.
1: Now, it's so funny you bring that up because it's so true, because they say it's all a priori.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So, yeah, Roger veer is not even an Austrian economist, I guess. I'm so. more
0: of an Austrian economist than he is. <laughs> I've read those fucking books. <laughs>
1: he he he's like Stefan Molyneux plus Austrian economist that's basically what
0: he, I just vomited in my mouth. <laughs> So what are
1: these experiences that confirm the a priori theories? (laughs) (laughs) What happened was he saw inmates using cigarettes and other garbage as a means of exchange while serving time in federal prison. And boom, Mises was definitively vindicated. (laughs) Of course. So according to Investopedia, quote, in 2002, Veer was sentenced to 10 months in prison for selling explosives via eBay. It is common for Veer critics to point to this part of his personal biography as a means of portraying him in a negative light.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is pretty negative.
1: (laughs) It isn't the best thing to be doing. So according to the deepstatejustice.gov, quote, According to the information and plea agreement, Mr. Veer sold explosive devices described as Pest Control Report 2000. On the online auction site eBay. He purchased approximately 49 pounds of the devices from a supplier in South Carolina and sold at least 14 pounds of the devices to bidders on eBay while engaging in the business of selling explosive devices. Mr. Veer stored the explosives in a residential apartment building and mailed the devices <laughs> via the United States Mail in a manner contrary to Postal Service regulations. <laughs>
0: It's like he's running like our merch store out of an apartment, except it's dynamite instead of shirts.
1: Yep. In fact, just as Dylan alluded to, what the hell is Pest Control Report Two Thousand? It's basically a quarter stick of dynamite, and it's used to scare off large pests on farmland, according to FederalRegister.gov. Quote: Explosive pest control devices contain black powder, flash powder, and/or a similar pyrotechnic composition. Many of these devices contain flash powder, a high explosive, as the component that produces the audible report. These devices are used for wildlife management purposes as an effective deterrent and are necessary for pest control efforts within the agricultural, aquacultural, commercial fishing operations, horticultural, and aviation industries. Commonly known as bird bombs, shell crackers, seal bombs, etc., explosive pest control devices are used to deter wildlife pests without harming
0: them. My extermination job would have been so much more fulfilling if I was allowed to use high explosives against mosquitoes. I think, (laughs) frankly, I think they deserve it. I think if anything deserves a quarter stick of dynamite, (laughs) it's mosquitoes. Yeah, exactly. So
1: we heard what the government had to say about why Veer was sentenced to jail. But what does Veer have to say? He says something a little bit different. He claims that he was only selling firecrackers on eBay mm. and the whole thing was just a way for the government to make an example of him for being a libertarian and talking shit about the FBI or something. I don't
0: know. See, I don't know about this. Forrest and I know far too many libertarians who talk shit about the FBI and who have not ended up in jail for this to be a plausible excuse.
1: There was even a time when Dylan and I were libertarians and we never went to jail. Not once. I can talk from experience, just (laughs) like Roger Vera can talk from experience about the a priori theories being true, (laughs) that this is probably not true.
0: And if you want to hear about me almost going to jail, check out our bonus episode on Patreon, $5 a month.
1: Check that out right now. Well, after the podcast, then go check it out. Investopedia continues, quote, in 2014, Vera renounced his U.S. citizenship becoming a citizen of St. Kitts and Nevis in the process. So what and where is St. Kitts and Nevis? And why is Roger Vera a citizen there? Well, we've been listening to this libertarian guy for a while now, and since we're fair and balanced on this podcast, let's give the deep state a word in. According to the CIA World Factbook, St. Kitts and Nevis is located on, quote, islands in the Caribbean Sea, about one third of the way from Puerto Rico to Trinidad and Tobago. Following the 2005 harvest, the government closed the sugar industry after several decades of losses. To compensate for lost jobs, the government has embarked on a program to diversify the agricultural sector and to stimulate other sectors of the economy, such as expert-oriented manufacturing and offshore banking. St. Kitts and Nevis is among other countries in the Caribbean that supplement their economic activity through economic citizenship programs, Hmm. whereby foreigners can obtain citizenship from St. Kitts and Nevis by investing there. So you might think, cool, Veer finally escaped the communist states of America for selling firecrackers, and now he lives in an island paradise. He's all good, right? Yeah. No. Oh. Nope. Nope. Sorry, Dylan. Escaping the United States is merely one step just the first baby step in the total libertarian utopia endgame. You see, Vera is trying to create his very own country. And no, this is not Jonestown. It's called free society.
0: And that does not sound like a cult at all. It's not as bad as the Democratic People's Republic of Freedom. Now that that's true. That's
1: a cult. Except libertarians don't really believe in democracies. It's just pure freedom. That's true. Yeah. According to freesociety.com, quote, We plan to establish a rule of law based on libertarian principles and free markets. We don't see the need to recreate traditional government structures. The rule of law constitution can be included in the final agreement of the land sale and will be an extension of the existing contract that will be put in place with the government that granted us the sovereignty. Enforcement will happen through private arbitration, competing court systems, and private law enforcement. It is important to establish a proper rule of law as our project will set an example for the industry and create an important precedent with governments around the world. We want to make sure the Constitution is solid, but avoid the inefficiencies of existing government structures.
0: I have to be honest, he lost me at rule of law. Go ANCAP or go home, you statist poser.
1: (laughs) It's very funny how the moment you try to create your own society, all of a sudden it starts sounding a lot like creating a government. Very strange how that that happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. Only the free market will be able to truly, once we stop thinking about it and just letting it go, that's when it'll happen.
1: Once you just let the invisible hand totally do its thing and just stop being a neurotic nitwit, everything will be fine. Exactly. Veer tells Bitcoin Magazine, quote, We were planning to have an initial coin offering, but the regulators have kind of gotten in the way of that at the moment. (laughs) But basically... We are working out the details as to how people can participate directly. Thanks to cryptocurrencies, now there is a way to fundraise for people all over the world who are interested in this. Myself and my other friends all have a fair amount of capital now because of cryptocurrency. Dying with a pile of money isn't any fun, so let's make the world a better place. There will not be a government. It will all be private institutions and private organizations. What could go wrong? Nothing. I agree. By the way, did I mention that Veer really hates it when you call Bitcoin Cash Bcash? Well, on a YouTube channel called Bitcoin Error Log, there's an interview with Veer where he makes it clear that he needs a safe space for Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> Dylan will play the interviewer and I will play Veer. Here's how the video goes. You are a cheerleader of B Cash, so people point at you as somebody who would be the source. Continue insulting me? I'm not interested in continuing this. It's Bitcoin Cash. Get it straight. And if you do that again, I'm gonna end the interview because I'm not interested in being insulted, okay? I'm promoting Bitcoin Cash. It's not
0: an insult. Why do you have to take it personally? It's just a name. I actually like it better. I'm being insulted here. I'm being insulted. I don't need to be insulted by you. I have enough
1: money. I was a self-made millionaire before I ever got involved in Bitcoin. I don't need to have my
0: buttons pushed by people like you on the internet. It's Bitcoin Cash. Roger, the only reason you want to call it Bitcoin Cash is because you want to co-opt the brand. I
1: think Bitcoin Cash has a more legitimate claim to being the Bitcoin that was outlined in the Bitcoin.org website. So yes, that's my position. You want people to think that it's Bitcoin.
0: It is Bitcoin. Read my lips. No, it's Bitcoin Cash. With the amount of Bitcoin people think you have and that you may have spent on Bcash, you're going to have I more. like an apology at this point. It's not Bcash. It's Bitcoin Cash. Look, it's what I call it. I'm not doing it on purpose. It's just so easy. It's a nice name. This interview is is over.
1: I don't need to be insulted. I was a self-made millionaire before I ever got involved in Bitcoin. Now I have even more money than... Who cares if you're a millionaire? That has nothing to do with anything. I don't need to be insulted by some person on the internet. What's your gross annual revenue for Exotica? None of your business. Less than a million dollars, huh? That has nothing to do with the conversation. Your gross annual revenue is less than a million dollars. Of course. That means
0: you don't know how to run a successful business. Of course. We do more than a million dollars in sales most days. We're not running a business here. I think there are only three people that want to call Bitcoin Cash Bitcoin Cash. You, Jihan, and your sock puppets, okay? Because there's nobody else. At this point, Roger then flips off the webcam. Goodbye.
1: I've never hired a single sock puppet, and I don't need to be insulted. But please go
0: post this so the entire world can see how incredibly rude you are to me. <laughs> And that is exactly how I would imagine someone named the Bitcoin Jesus would talk. <laughs> All right, so we're going to end this episode with a seeming digression, but just, just hang on with me and we'll understand how it connects back to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're going to talk about the world of the all-meat or carnivore diet. Now, again, this might sound extreme, but you'll be pleased to learn that they also eat eggs, so they aren't total fanatics.
1: Whoa, whoa, backtrack. Is it metaphysically certain
0: that eggs aren't meat? Didn't we have a Twitter poll on this? We did have a Twitter poll on this, and it was two to one that eggs are not meat. Okay, good. I That's how I do conceptual analysis. I just <laughs> do polls, <laughs> Twitter and that's polls the true special- answer. Exactly. Sean Baker, otherwise known as the carnivore king, eats four pounds of steak every day.
1: Another little known fact, he takes a shit only once every four years.
0: Man, that sounds really good, frankly. (laughs) Baker cites the ease of the carnivore diet as one of its strong points, saying, quote, I just have to think, how hungry am I and how many steaks do I want to eat? Baker cites numerous health benefits to his transition, including improved digestion, lower blood pressure and the sexual vitality of a 20-something. It should be noted that most doctors are more than skeptical about the whole don't-eat-any-fruits, vegetables, or grains at all health plan. Christopher Gardner is a professor of medicine at Stanford University. When he was confronted with the carnivore diet, he was initially confused over who the diet was for. Quote, Are these T-Rex, African lions, or humans? (laughs) Assuming humans, this sounds disastrous on multiple levels. In summary, I think a carnivore diet is inappropriate for human health, bad for the health of our planet, abusive of animal rights and welfare. Well, duh. I mean,
1: that's the whole point. Think about it. Bitcoin is super libertarian. So they hate welfare. That's a given. And Bitcoin destroys the environment, as I've already mentioned. Also, since destroying the environment is against human health, that checks out, too. That's for animal rights. I'm pretty sure they're just they're just automata and therefore property, right? I'm pretty sure that that's orthodox libertarian theory. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole point of all this.
0: Yes. Yeah, I agree. I think this doctor really failed in convincing the libertarians about the whole eat meaning thing.
1: Yeah, I don't think he's going to convince them.
0: Yeah, sadly. Okay, so why are we talking about this? What? does an all-meat carnivore diet have to do with cryptocurrency? Well, because there is a small contingent of so-called Bitcoin carnivores, Bitcoin enthusiasts who also adopt the all-meat lifestyle. One of these folks is Michael Goldstein, founder of the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute and Bitcoin and meat maximalist. (laughs) And he explains why these two seemingly unrelated things are in fact birds of a feather. Quote, The 20th century was disastrous for human health and wealth. And the rise of central banking and industrial food was clearly a major reason why. I personally would have mentioned Nazism and Stalinism, but you know, what do I know?
1: Yeah, you know, Dylan, without a central bank, Stalin and Hitler couldn't have funded their wars. Come on. Central banking leads to fascism. Just accept it.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. Goldstein continues: quote: Bitcoin is a revolt against fiat money, and an all-meat diet is a revolt against fiat food. <laughs> So if you've noticed lately how you're getting full after eating or are experiencing malnutrition, it's probably because you've been eating counterfeit food. Only the Fed produces food backed by the full faith and credit and stomachs of the United States government. So make sure you're not eating the counterfeit stuff.
1: And wait a minute, Dylan. Malnutrition? Malinvestment? Oh, here's the download process again. I think that's... What, six times now? I think we need to. Yeah, like, I think it's six. I think we need to counter on our website for how many times the download process happens on the show. And if yeah. anyone wants to know what the download process is, check out the Jonathan Kahn episode of our series.
0: Yes, the uh, Maga Church episode. Maga Church. Goldstein continues, quote, once someone has grown capable of seeing beyond the lies and myths that experts peddle in one domain, it becomes easier to see beyond them in other domains as well. Thankfully, Goldstein isn't an expert, so what he peddles aren't merely fiat claims.
1: <laughs> and even though Goldstein isn't an expert, that doesn't change the fact that he can sign up as one on Scott Adams' WhenHub interface. In fact, Dave Rube is now on WhenHub as an expert in triggering SJWs. <laughs> so sign up now and give him those awesome erc 20 tokens on the on the Ethereum
0: blockchain. You know you want to. Come on, you know. You want to. Oh, yeah. But Goldstein is on to something, namely how cryptocurrencies attract weirdos because cryptocurrency is itself kind of weird. This point was made by Niraj Agrawal, communications director at Coin Center. Quote, there is probably a bit of self-selection going on here. You can't really work in cryptocurrency without an openness to weird ideas. Mm. Saifuddin Amas, author of the forthcoming book The Bitcoin Standard and economics professor at Lebanese American University, is another proponent of Bitcoin carnivory, asking, quote, Why have variety when you can have the best? <laughs> like Goldstein, he is also leery about experts meddling in your financial and dietary affairs. Quote, The people who tell you to eat your six to ten portions of indigestible toxic grains a day for a healthy and balanced diet, are the same kind of people who tell you central banks have to determine interest rates for a modern economy to function. What a strange association. Yeah, I I would be worried about the gastroenterologist you'd be seeing who's telling you both of those things. I would. They're probably, I mean, he's probably right. They're probably not the person you want to be talking to. He also, he's on Twitter as well. And there was one account that he retweeted at Steak and Iron who said, quote, I haven't found a problem that can't be solved by increasing meat decreasing carbs, lifting weights, hodling Bitcoin, and disregarding government. (laughs) (laughs) And frankly, I am incredibly jealous of the clear lack of problems that at stake and iron must have (laughs) if they can all be solved by those few things. So for example, Bishop Lewis, he's shedding. I I can't solve those problems by eating meat and buying Bitcoin. You know, I gotta gotta do something else. And that's a fairly small problem. So again... (laughs) This guy's living large. And Amos responded positively to this claim saying, quote, I had 99 problems, but Bitcoin carnivory solved every one. (laughs) Wow. Amos even convinced Furtis Bai, who runs Crypto Insider with 21 mil, to adopt Bitcoin carnivory as well. Quote, you convinced me to embrace a meat and water diet. First Bitcoin maximalism. Now this. He continues, quote, we live in a digital world so we can't transact with gold. But Bitcoin has all the properties of gold, which was the earliest form of currency that we know of. The philosophies and principles behind Bitcoin are ancient. At Sonic Tsunami credits the diet with improving his financial discipline, quote, hodling required strength. Meat provides the energy and strength in space. (laughs) Now, you might still be wondering... Like, what is what what is the relationship here? There's all sorts of, you know, there's this idea that the all meat diet is like a weird diet, but there's all kinds of weird diets. I mean, veganism, raw food, those are also extreme diets. So why do they go for the meat and not the veggies? Well, I think inadvertently, John Durant, who wrote the Paleo Manifesto, offers the best explanation for why Bitcoin enthusiasts would be drawn to carnivory. Durant puts forward paleo as an alternative to the, quote, left-wing plant-based movement. Considering the right-wing emphasis on tradition and a return to the past, it kind of makes sense to think of the paleo diet as a right-wing diet, returning to the diet of our Neanderthal ancestors.
1: And ironically, if you go super far right-wing diet you end up becoming a vegetarian because some of our earlier ancestors ate only vegetation. And if you go ultra far right, you don't need any food because the first self-replicating molecules didn't eat anything.
0: I wish I wish everyone who is super ultra far right didn't eat anything. I think we'd be a lot <laughs> better off. We wouldn't have anything to talk about on this podcast, though. Yeah, that's true. So if carnivory is extreme paleo and Bitcoin enthusiasm is extreme libertarianism, It makes sense that being attracted to one would involve being attracted to the other. I also think there's another important reason is that the all-meat diet is really simple. Consider another nutritional trend that took over Silicon Valley, Soylent. You know, the idea that we'll just drink this drink and that's the only thing we'll have to consume. These tech nerds love the idea of not having to think about eating at all. And eat meat is a pretty simple rule to follow. Bai says that this is the primary factor. He doesn't have to think about what he eats and only eats once a day. Goldstein mentions how he only spends ten minutes grocery shopping. Most of that time spent waiting in the checkout line.
1: Man, I, I can kind of relate to these tech nerds. I hate cooking. I hate thinking about. To, I just hate thinking about what to eat and cooking. I hate it all. I hate the cleanup. All of it. Hate the preparation. And recently, I've just been eating nonstop Del Taco vegan Beyond Meat tacos. (laughs) I scoffed them down in my car right after getting them in the drive-thru, and I have enough plant-based power to get my day going. So I guess I'm kind of like a Bitcoin carnivore just without the carnivore part.
0: Yes, a Bitcoin-vore, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. Something. And with that, that concludes our first episode in our Crypto Craziness series. And after now understanding how extreme sketchy, and bad for the environment Bitcoin is, I know what you're thinking. And that's to first go to Coinbase.com and purchase some Bitcoin, and then go to to NundereCallItOrdinary.com slash donate and send us some Bitcoin. (laughs)
1: Yes, that's what you want to do for sure.
0: Exactly. And whichever wallet sends us the most Bitcoin at the time of recording a podcast, we will shill your wallet address and ask everyone to donate to you. That's right. We will shill your address and tell everyone not to donate to us. But to you, that's the kind of program we're running here. Hell yeah. And so whoever whoever donates the most, the wallet donating to us the most, we're going to put your wallet on the top of that stack and shill it until we stop eating because we've gotten so far right. And we're the true Bitcoin Jesus
1: because we are we're not Bitcoin maximalists, we're Bitcoin altruists.
0: Exactly. Yes. We want to spread Bitcoin throughout the world. So, with that, Forrest what most intrigued you about today's episode? What did you learn? Well,
1: I liked learning about how Antifa is very similar to the Bitcoin maximalists, i.e. two guys in China.
0: Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea
1: about that either. <laughs> and actually, no, I'm I'm very interested in blockchain and cryptocurrency and all that. So I, I really didn't learn anything new. I did learn about how at St. Kitts and Nevis, If you want to go there and become a citizen and run your own like little crypto cult or something, then the best thing to do is to pack up your bags, renounce U.S. citizenship, go there, just invest a little bit into their economy. And hey, there you go. You can be just like Roger Veer.
0: Exactly. I actually knew about that country and their economic citizenship program. The guy who wrote The Game I can't remember what his name is, but he also wrote a book about like escaping extreme scenarios. And he talked about how he went through the process to become a citizen of um, St. Kitts and Nevis. Oh, interesting. And so, yeah, I, so I actually knew about that before. And I I did not know, however, that uh, Bitcoin Jesus Roger Veer was uh, using their program as well.
1: Oh, yeah. I also really love the strange association of central banking and the carnivore diet. I like (laughs) 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 these are like this weird thing of, man, the two things that have fucked up our, our lives, central banking and eating veggies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah.
0: Just imagine how sheltered a life you have to live to actually believe that. I mean, that's, I mean, that's incredible. (laughs) That's true progress. When we can shelter people so much, they're so out of touch with reality that these are the problems they have to make up for themselves.
1: And one thing Um, that is funny is in the cryptocurrency space, there is a kind of a strange left-wing and right-wing contingent where the more left-wing type people that are more vegetarian and all that, they go more for Ethereum.
0: mm, And then the more
1: libertarian right-wing guys, they go for Bitcoin. Interesting. I
0: didn't know that. That's fascinating.
1: Oh, yeah. Just look at um, Vitalik, the creator of Ethereum. He just absolutely—he just absolutely strikes you as a soy boy immediately.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so just look at him, and you go, "Oh, these are the liberals." Got it. So what did you learn, Dylan? What what was uh- Oh, What
0: did I learn? I think the whole Bitcoin carnivore thing—I have to say—that really struck me. And trying to figure out why those two things were put together um, was really fascinating because it seems they seem very. Separate from each other, I think the whole, the idea of the paleo diet being a right wing diet, I thought was like an interesting concept and how this guy, that that one, the guy who wrote the paleo manifesto, it says that explicitly. Right. And it makes sense because it is a, this idea of returning to traditional ways of eating. What's funny is that on the one hand, they're totally wrong about what we traditionally ate. There's actually, there's a really good TEDx talk on the paleo diet and who, and she goes into all the kind of anthropological work determining what uh, ancient human beings ate. And it's super fascinating. You
1: you actually educated me on that a bit because I was under the, the impression that our paleo ancestors did not eat grains. But that turns out that that's not true.
0: Yeah. I mean, they ate whatever they could get. Right. <laughs> and, and a lot of times it was grains. Sometimes it was grains. That's true. Uh, yeah. And anyway, there is basically no food we eat now that they would have eaten because the food we've eaten has gone through so much Genetic modification, and I'm not talking about GMOs, I'm just talking about, you know, breeding practices, you know, if you eat a steak, that's not going to be the kind of meat that ancient human beings would have eaten. They would have eaten incredibly lean, gamey deer, for example. Right. But yeah, but this whole idea, the idea of the politics of food, I thought was interesting. And even how the choice of being paleo could be a conservative choice and how that's why it links to the whole Bitcoin stuff. So I thought, yeah, I thought that was the most interesting part about this episode so far. Oh, well, it makes sense. Indeed. And so once again, this is the end of our first part of our crypto craziness series. You can reach out to us on social media at NDCIO on Twitter and at None Dare Call It Ordinary on Instagram. You can also reach us on email, none dare call it ordinary at gmail.com. And through email or social media, you could let us know everything we've gotten wrong. We want to start a new series, none dare call it wrong. So if we said something false or if we took a speculation too far, send it our way. We're still waiting to compile enough of those to actually make an episode about it. So you can all prove us wrong on everything. Lastly, we do want to give A bit of a notice. One thing we haven't really promoted too much is our Discord channel. So if you go to our website, none dare call it ordinary, you will find a link to our Discord channel. And we don't want to spoil it, (laughs) but we've had some very interesting activity recently (laughs) on our Discord channel. Yes. Highly, very exclusive content on the (laughs) Discord channel. I'm just going to say that um, the one hint I'll give is if you listen to our last episode... Listen to episode 43, the, psych- the DMT stuff. You'll find a hint as to what happened on our Discord. But NundereCallItOrdinary.com, check out our Discord channel. I guarantee you will enjoy it. Absolutely. And with that, we are... D- dead.